Welcome to the Newsletter Operator Podcast. I'm Matt McGarry. And I'm Ryan Carr. And in this podcast, we teach you exactly how to build, grow, and monetize your newsletter. We'll talk to the best newsletter operators, creators, and media founders in the space, breaking down their strategies and growth tactics. Awesome. Let's get into it. Hey, what's up? Welcome to the Newsletter Operator Podcast. I am here with Sean Elder, the founder of Black Label Advisor. Just so the audience knows, tell us who you are, what you do, what is the name of your company and newsletter, and then we'll get into all that. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks for having me on, Matt. It's just an honor to be on this show. So to give everyone listening a kind of a quick rundown, my background's a little not normal. So my background, I thought it was going to be in the commercial construction industry forever. And so right out of college, I was actually working on amazing projects. Uh, San Diego Airport was my first project right out of the gates. You know, I realized pretty quick then that climbing the ladder is going to be a little slow. So I started a side gig that was launching my first brand on Amazon. It was a private label brand that grew and kind of snowballed into five brands, then went full time with that selling on Amazon. Did really well, exited in late 2019. When you're at a certain level on Amazon, you, you kind of get burned out. And I was definitely ready to take a break and then really had to ask myself what I want to do next. And then Black Label Advisor sprung out of that. And that was really uh, fulfilling a need in the market, which was basically transparent consulting. So what I do is I walk with sellers, I consult them, I help them grow faster on Amazon, help them avoid the million pitfalls of being on the platform. Also helped you to see what brand owners get onto Amazon and do it correctly. There's a lot of misinformation that's out there and there are a lot of expectations that don't actually line up. So I, I kind of helped them realign their focus on Amazon and launched Amazon Insiders. Oh man, roughly two years ago. And that's the uh, newsletter, Amazon Insiders, right? Yeah, Amazon Insiders was launched specifically for the micro niche community of anyone who sells on Amazon. So that actually started with the newsletter space. And I was watching you and lots of other people in the newsletter space. I'm like, wait a second, this could be a potential second revenue stream for my business, but also um, a great education that are active on the platform. So yeah, it's grown very, very fast. I have over 15,000 subscribers now. The goal is 100,000 by next Christmas, and we'll see what happens. Sounds good. How would you describe a micro niche? Micro niche, however you want to say. Um, two things. One, the revenue is really small when you're looking at it, and I'll just go back to Amazon. Think like less than five sellers are active. It could be a trend that's forecasted to do a lot. Uh, so some of that has to do with your gut instinct on a, on a space. So everything I did personally, I can't talk about the brand names, but I can talk about the general spaces I was in. So there was this massive trend in a very specific toy category for kids. So it was an outdoor kids toy type market and uh, it started growing really fast. And it's weird because it was actually not like a new utility patent type product. It was just kind of a generic type product that just all of a sudden exploded. And this is pre-COVID, by the way, and it actually got even more popular during COVID with, with people staying home more. So few sellers, the revenue definitely under a hundred thousand a month on Amazon and just trying to figure out the projections of where, where that space is going to go. That is harder to capture and explain. 
here, but it really comes down to being passionate about your category. So for me, you know, at that time I had one kid and um, that was a real passion for me trying to understand what are they really interested in? How do I get them outside more? You know, it really has to be something, not that you have to be an expert in it, but you have to have some sort of passion or interest in that, in that micro niche. Yeah. And if you have that interest, you're going to know the ins and outs of it versus if you're from the outside looking in, you're not going to be able to see things like that, I imagine. And so you use that strategy to pick your newsletter. And it seems like it kind of played out organically because you were in Amazon, you're consulting, you do a micro niches. So you wanted to, you started the newsletter about Amazon. Why did you, did you start the newsletter because you wanted to have a separate business model in media? Did you want to start the newsletter to get more clients or all the above? Or what was the reason for starting the newsletter originally? Yeah. So that's kind of, it, I can't really answer that like perfectly because, because going back, I didn't think the newsletter was going to go anywhere. You know, I just, I saw other newsletters. I, I didn't really have a lot of like hope for it. I didn't even know if it was going to be around in a year, but the growth kept happening. And I started realizing, oh my gosh, I can monetize this. I can use this to promote other newsletters, uh, friends of mine. There's a lot of stuff going on with the newsletter. But in the beginning, it wasn't something where I'm like, oh, I know for sure this is going to happen. It definitely felt like molasses where it just felt stuck and it was really, really slow. And I was trying so hard. I didn't use any of the tools out there either. So it was. I was just kind of spreading it word of mouth at that at that point. So tell me about that. How did you get your first hundred subscribers for the newsletter? Yeah. So that was all about reaching out to all my contacts. So the Amazon space in terms of like service, service providers is actually pretty small. And if you know 10 people, you know, the rest of the industry, it's just one of those industries where, you know, if you can make those initial connections, you can naturally be introduced to other people. I started Amazon in 2014 and you know, I already knew a lot of the software providers. And so I'm like, Hey, you know, can you promote this? So I got some free promotion, uh, in other service providers, you know, their newsletters. I started out with my mastermind that was, that I was a part of just asking them gently, Hey, I just started a newsletter. Would you mind sharing this with, with your network? So that was them posting on their social media platforms. So it was kind of just really just asking people to post about it. So that's how it started. And that kind of snowballed into doing a lot of swaps with other newsletters, um, larger. And when larger did that start? So was that, was that when the swaps, oh, did you start that at a hundred? Did you start that at a thousand? Because it's hard to do a swap oh, if you're man. at 10 subscribers. Yeah. Right? I actually, I would say I started doing newsletter swaps at like 750 subscribers. And really? it was kind of like, it was kind of like, they, they didn't get a lot of value from it. It's just, it's all relationship based. Like I know these guys. And so I'm like, Hey, would you mind like promoting? And I, you know, I, of course I pitched the vision of what Amazon insiders was going to be someday. The focus is not getting people signed up with me as a consulting client. The whole purpose is education and making sure people are staying ahead of their competition. I was very fortunate to have a lot of those relationships where they were just open to doing that for me in the beginning. So that really helped to boost things. And of course, over time, you know, once I got to a thousand, fifteen hundred, it started, it started to kind of snowball into, okay, what are other tools out there that I can be using? And that's when I started incorporating things like Sparkloop and uh, Twitter ads. So, so um, let's pause there and break down. So we got a, a thousand subscribers or a little bit more. 
how do you grow it from a thousand or two thousand to over ten thousand subscribers? Like, what's the first kind of like scalable marketing channel that worked for you? Um, definitely, definitely SparkLoop. And so the reason why that works so well is because you can you can kind of hyper target basically who who you're trying to get signed up. Like, I didn't want general you know people interested in marketing. I didn't want people interested in you know, house hacking and things like that. I wanted people who are already active selling on Amazon or they're looking at starting an FBA business. So my, the grouping of newsletters that would promote me with Upscribe was maybe like five at the time. Now I'm at a dozen where it makes a lot of sense for them. Farkloop's obviously grown a lot since then. That was kind of the, the, the engine behind the scenes. And how did you get the first five to promote you? I mean, it's not, did you reach out to any? I know you're setting your seat on Sparkly. You set yeah. a fixed CPA of what you want to pay for a subscriber and you, and you set criteria of the subscribers that you'll accept. How do you yeah. think about setting up your offer so people promoted you and getting them to promote you? Yeah. So I started out definitely higher than most. So I was very aggressive with the offer. Obviously, I had to be really careful with, you know, making sure that I was canceling certain newsletters because the, it wasn't matched up at all. But I, I made it really, really attractive. And then that led into just manual requests. So I, I actually knew some of the newsletter owners and, you know, just ping them, you know, direct message on Twitter. Hey, can, are, are you interested in this? So I had that happen as well. Probably 50% of the time I knew them and a couple of them, they, they were just kind of already in the industry anyways. Some of them wrote on Amazon related subjects, but it was about 50, 50 split. Sounds good. Any common p mistakes people should avoid if they're using Sparkloop that, um, that oh, you've yeah. oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, so I would say the most common mistake is not setting up a correct vetting procedure. So just to give you one example, you can sign up for Sparkloop. You can get, you know, hundreds of new subscribers, but what if, what if they're not targeted and they're not opening up your emails? So you need to set up a rule within your account. And I think actually they're launching this, uh, this month, but, you know, you can set it up for you want one open within the first two weeks or you want two opens or you want uh, two clicks. It's kind of up to you how you gauge, you know, how active they are. That is absolutely crucial because you, you only want people who are interested and are actually going to click on ads who are actually interested in the space that you're writing for. Uh, otherwise you kind of have a dead list. I mean, who cares if your list is like 20% open goal is obviously to maintain 50% plus. And to do that, you have to have strict rules. Okay. So setting those rules, removing subscribers who don't meet that criteria. That's really important. Definitely. If you were to break down your subscriber list into a pie chart and like, look at the different sources of, of where those came from, Sparkloop's a big one. Any other one, any other big growth sources that come to mind that worked well for you? Oh Yeah. Absolutely. I would definitely say, uh, you, so I use hype theory on the back end for Twitter from day one. I went in all in on Twitter and I'm like, I'm not, I'm going to ignore TikTok. I don't even care about doing videos on Instagram. I'm only going to do this. And so that really helped me focus on one platform, you know, having the automatic follow-up posts, uh, promoting a newsletter has helped a lot, uh, optimizing my bio, doing everything I can to showcase, okay, here's a newsletter. If you're interested in this subject, please sign up here. So I'm definitely, I would say I'm aggressive. You know, you need to be checking out your feed to make sure you delete that, uh, just in case that that does happen. Yeah, absolutely. And then, so by going all in on Twitter, explain 
what that meant for you. Was that publishing every day? Was that threads? Like what's what Twitter growth strategies worked for you in the early days? Yeah. So, so Twitter's a really interesting story. It's obviously changed over the three years that I've been on the platform, but it, it's all been focused on really detailed long form content. So my, the fastest I've ever grown has been when I'm doing two monster threads every week. And, you know, for single tweets, I probably do probably seven tweets per day. And a lot of people have asked me like, oh my gosh, John, how do you manage that? How do you manage your clients and your newsletter? And honestly, everything I do with Twitter is off the cuff. So I don't actually schedule anything. <laughs> so a lot of people are like, what? There's no way. The way my brain works, it, it's just, the, it's just best to describe it that way. It, it I have like some thought, it could be um, an Amazon package that I get and it triggers an idea for something else. You know, there might be a story about drones and how Amazon's incorporating drones. So I'm going to post about that. So it's very off the cuff, very fresh content. I don't use any of the scheduling tools that High Fury offers. It's been, it's been really focused on that. And also having like a small mastermind helps a lot. So think like 10 other people that are, you know, bigger accounts than you and they're willing to like your post, uh, comment on your post that, that has been hugely beneficial. So I want to, I want to dive into all three of those things. So I think one publishing seven times a day, like a lot of people realize you have to get into the habit of publishing and like, as you're thinking, going throughout your day thinking, you need to think about those as tweets. And I think most people don't do that because they're just, they're not publishing regularly. So I think it's a habit you go into. I imagine you didn't start publishing seven times a day, but over time you've built that up, right? It definitely ended there as an average. I kind of, I try to tweet every between two and three hours. In the beginning, when you're starting out on Twitter, it's very hard to know like what is the right strategy. And, and thankfully there's, there are a lot of accounts now that are dedicated to like, okay, this is how you can get, you know, higher reach. This is what you should avoid. So there's a lot of education over the years uh, for those things. But the algorithm seems to really appreciate consistent posting with long form content. And so I'll just, I'll just keep doing what I'm doing and hopefully the uh, algorithm doesn't punish me. Yeah. And so you mentioned long detailed threads have been a big part of your, your Twitter growth. As Twitter has moved away from threads, they get less reach. Has anything worked for you recently? Is it, is it instead of long detailed threads, it's long detailed, long tweets or what is yeah, it? Yeah. So I've, I have, I, I keep AB testing it. So I still do threads once in a while just to test it, but I've definitely shifted probably 80% to doing long form tweets. So the Amazon space, it's really easy to do that. It could be as simple as five hacks for getting ready for prime day, or it could be as detailed as um, this is A to Z, how you should be importing your goods from China from you know negotiations all the way to getting your stuff into Amazon FBA warehouses. So those are very long, detailed explanations that really, I kind of consider them like short blog posts. And so really, I've just taken my threads, you know, the formatting and then condensed it down and, and, and make it look as nice as I can to what I call a monster post. <laughs> Got it. And so tell me about the mastermind group. So kind of like an engagement yeah. group where you find other people maybe in your niche and like you, yep. they, they, you send them likes and stuff and it's mutual. Like how do you, how do you find that group? Was it just kind of I, honestly uh, that has been yeah it's a great question so that that has been a natural relationship building 
uh, thing. So, you know, that there is, there's a lot of, I would say camaraderie in the Amazon space. So if you have your own brand, when I say like as an Amazon seller, when I'm talking about who that person is, this is someone that owns their trademark. This is someone who owns their packaging. They own their sourcing. They have relationships with factories. They're really trying to build the next Nike. That that's who I'm talking about. I'm not talking really about uh, resellers, you know, people that buy stuff at Target and sell it on Amazon. I'm talking about brand owners. And so a lot of those guys have very established brands where there's just natural chemistry because we're all trying to do the same thing. So when you look at companies like Hexclad or Simple Modern, they're awesome companies that have really gone through the ups and downs of the Amazon space. And of course, I would say there's with those groups, there's natural chemistry that's outside of the Amazon space. So that could be general interest in maybe similar hobbies, a couple guys, Christians as well. I'm a Christian. And so a lot of those things are kind of natural conversation starters. It's very organic and, and casual. There's no like rule of like who's tracking things. It's really up to the person to submit their posts. And it's like, okay, great. Like, of course, I'm going to, I'm going to look at your post. I know it's not going to be garbage. So liking a post, retweeting a post and commenting is, is, is very easy because they're producing such good content that it's, 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 it's just basically cakewalk <laughs> to yeah. do that. Like, so it, it seems like two seconds. Yeah. It seems like the formula is find people you have stuff in common with. You like their content. It's quality. Absolutely. You have a past relationship with already. Absolutely. And then don't have too much pressure and rules. Some of these groups I've heard have like, you, you only get like so many post requests per week you can put in. And it's like very rule based and tit for tat. That seems a little bit too intense for me. I like the style that you're doing it with. I've been in those types of groups and they've, they've kind of died. To be honest with you, <laughs> it's just I, when you're doing it, when it, when there are, when there are so many rules involved, I think it zaps the inspiration behind it. When you really value someone's post and and know, okay, this is coming. This post is coming from very real experience. You know, the, you know, for example, um, you know, interacting with someone that's doing twenty million in Amazon it's going to be a natural conversation with that person. So what they're writing is not some like, Oh, check out my gum road course. This is like, this is the real deal. And so their content is really solid and it's easy to say yes to that. So, you know, to set up those relationships, it's been just a question like, Hey, would you be interested in doing this? Yeah, of course. So it's really casual. I think it's the best way. I'm sure a lot of people would disagree with me, but as long as you have strong relationships with those people and you have a lot of trust built up, we respond to each other too. And we say, okay, you know, done. I did, I did yeah. that. And then the expectation is, okay, they're waiting for my post next. There's really no pressure when, when you're doing it. Awesome. I want to talk about monetization before we do. Can you give us like the, uh, to, to wrap up the growth stuff, give us like a final best estimate on like the pie chart of your subscriber growth, X percent spark loop, X percent Twitter, what does that look like for you? Ooh, so eSparkloop is probably 25%, 50% is organic. Uh, well, sorry. It, when I say organic, I also include the Twitter ads. So that's, you know, the Hype Fury uh, automatic posting, right? You know, having the plug below the post, whatever I do on LinkedIn, my warm network. And then another 25% is from acquisitions. So I acquired a uh, email list that was hyper-targeted in my space. So that that's an additional 25%. So that kind of adjusted the pie as of two weeks ago. Interesting. Yeah. Can you elaborate a little bit on that acquisition? Like, yeah. I don't know how much you can yeah, share so, that, but I'd love to hear about it. 
Yeah, I, I, I've kept it pretty quiet just for privacy reasons, but it's not a big deal. Someone reached out to me and they said, hey, John, you know, with what you're doing with Amazon Insiders, it might make sense to, you know, to sell this. Basically, the owner of the list and the website, they, they were in over their heads and they were like, we, this is too much. And it came with a lot of other resources. It came with some eBooks. And so there's a lot of value there for me. So for me, it was a slam dunk. It was, it was much bigger than just the email list. Of course, I said yes. And there was some negotiation and that actually closed uh, roughly two weeks ago. So that's been a, just a real, really fun growth strategy that has been seamless. And so you rolled these people into your list, right? So you acquired yes. one label. Hey, it's, you're joining Amazon Insiders. And then yes. they went into your, you didn't run this as a separate newsletter, separate company, right? Uh, some people do that. So I basically told them this list is not going to exist anymore, but you are joining an even better list. So I did an intro email to them and I explained to them, feel free to unsubscribe, but I'm telling you Amazon Insiders is this list times 10. So I definitely pitched it that way and have, have maintained 95% of them. So it's been a very strong, seamless process. That's good. And how do you think about the price for this? Did you, do you like think about the value as like per subscriber? What do you want to pay for a subscriber? Did you look at it? Yeah, so, so revenue? I, yeah. I'm going to tell you the number. Um, so I paid $4 per subscriber and some will say like, oh my gosh, like you got fleeced. But you have to understand something. This is a very, in my industry, it's a very well-known website with a ton of traffic. So there's a lot of Google SEO that's already built in over many years. The other portion of it too is I got tons of content. So that content is going to be obviously reformatted and repurposed for social media and, you know, possibly a, a book in the future. So there's value there that the owner didn't place a value on. But to me, that was extremely valuable. So that it's part of a, a bigger picture than just the email list. So that, that explains the, the higher price point per subscriber. Yeah, we talked a little bit about this when you were doing it. I think I think it's a good deal. And a lot of people don't realize for some newsletters, $4 for a subscriber would be high. But I think for this, it makes yeah. sense. And also, let's say you're running ads in this newsletter. You want to like buy a sponsorship there. In that ad placement, you're going to pay more than $4 per subscriber, most likely. The CPA oh, yeah. from a newsletter ad would be like 4 to $7. A CPA from a Facebook yeah. or um, Twitter ad would be, you know, 2 to 3 to $4. And so like, yeah, you're getting people who are already on a list about what you talk about. So it's, yeah, it makes and, a lot of sense to pay that. Yeah. And it's important to note, like the, these are, this is pretty much the most targeted email list that I could ask for. And so to me, I, I would have easily paid more. <laughs> so it's extremely targeted and just a dream. It's kind of one of those opportunities where it kind of falls into your lap and, and you have to jump on it because it's, it's such a good opportunity. So for me, it was, it was, it was perfect because it was seamless with Amazon insiders and it's just been smooth the whole, the whole process. And, and the list was, they weren't actively set. I don't believe they were actively sending to the list. Was that right? Um, no, they were. They, yeah, were? Okay, they, so that's good they were not like the most consistent, but yeah, they, they were actively sending and, and you know, they just, the, so the site was being managed in the wrong way. They were viewing it through the wrong lens. And so, you know, it was 
basically to them as a dead asset. And to me, it was an extremely valuable asset and I could basically steer the ship in the right direction. Yeah. Fit your business model better. I think one thing to look out for the reason I mentioned active is that that is something people could look out for in the audience. If they want to acquire a newsletter in their niche, there's lots of people who just burn out on a newsletter and they don't want to write it anymore. And so you may be able to get by that newsletter for two or three, or $4 per subscriber. And that's a great resource for you. So I think um, we're going to see, we, there's already a lot of inactive newsletters out there. There's going to be more and more over time. So it's something to look out for. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. Cool. Okay. So let's talk about monetization. So break down your business model and how you make money. You don't need to share revenue numbers, but it'd be awesome to get a pie chart of like, okay, X percent is sponsorship. X percent is consulting or whatever it might be for you to kind of get a idea of, um, how you make money in your business, not revenue numbers, but like the oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah. So um, I'll name drop because he's been so helpful, but marketing max, he has been instrumental with just kind of indirectly helping me on the side. I basically modeled after his model or after his newsletter and really it's sponsorship heavy. And so in my newsletter, I'm pretty clear. I'm, I'm very, very, I'm crystal clear about that, that, that above the fold, these are partnerships that I have with sponsors. And in the Amazon space, it, it also makes a lot of sense because my weekly Amazon hack will tie in oftentimes with the sponsor. So whenever I'm promoting something, that solution provider is someone who wants to get access to 15,000 Amazon sellers. But then the Amazon sellers also want to get access to whatever special deal they have. And sometimes they're not even aware of it. So sometimes it's funding for Amazon sellers. Sometimes it's uh, monitoring software or inventory management, finding influencers. There's a wide range of things that Amazon sellers need to run their business properly. So I'm probably, I would say 85% sponsorships right now. And so I have every single newsletter I send out, I have a total of six potential sponsors in my newsletter. Wow. That's a lot more than average. Can we talk about that for a second? A lot yeah. of people have like one, and not that it's, I think this is a smart and interesting thing to do. A lot of people have like one or two sponsor slots for in a newsletter. Why do you decide six? I wanted to kind of create a hybrid. And of course I need, I need to go back to Max because he's, this is where I got the idea from his newsletter set up really similar to mine, basically having a premium primary ad spot. And so that's the very first thing that people see when they open up my newsletter. I might have like a quick little intro, maybe something related to, you know, the previous week or some crazy Amazon news, but it goes right into the primary ad. That's kind of like a very wordy ad. You know, that's up to 250 words. That's very, very long. And then right below that, I have um, short and sweet ads. So those are what I call solutions we're checking out. So those are more like think like two sentences each. I don't always have five ads right there because it, that's all dependent on, you know, who's booking the ad slots, but I have up, up to five right there. So, you know, one week I might have three. So I'll say here are three solutions worth checking out. And then right after that, I go into my Amazon hack of the week. So I force people's eyeballs to go past my sponsors and then get to the content. And so, you know, I'm subscribed to a million newsletters and I see like things all over the place. I have to go with, you know, I have to basically balance the value of my subscriber, making sure that they want to stay subscribed, make sure they don't feel like they're getting spammed. And then I also have to balance, you know, that with uh, making sure the sponsors are happy. So, so far, people have no issue reading the content for the sponsors to get to the hack of the week. 
And so that's been uh, something that's been pretty consistent. Max does that as well with his newsletter. Uh, it's very in your face. You open up a newsletter and you know who's sponsoring his newsletter. So mine's the same way. Let's break down the process here. So tell us about how you find sponsors and then we'll kind of go through it step yeah. by step. Yeah. So, um, it's pretty straightforward because it, you know, for me, well, for me, straightforward because I know who I'm targeting. Um, I know who would be a good fit as a sponsor and it's definitely like a newer space. Like I, there are some newsletters that are more focused on service providers and they have a couple sponsors and stuff, but I want it to be the Amazon newsletter. I wanted, I want it to be like Justin Welsh. And I want it to be huge. And so to do that, I had to write from a very personal content approach. And then in terms of sponsors, I already have those relationships. I know the CEOs of all these companies. We go way back, you know, starting in 2014. So a lot of these guys started their software companies when I was selling on Amazon. So a lot of those relationships were already built in. Outside of those normal relationships where it's very easy to talk to them, it's basically every subsect of the Amazon space, there's, you know, I'd say 20 plus competitors. So it's just the natural finding them on LinkedIn, messaging them on there, pitching the concept, and then also finding their email. I land sponsors that way as well. That's been uh, something that, that's obviously a lot of work. So you have to remind them, you know, did you see the email? Sometimes people respond instantly and they're like, yes, let's book it. This is great. So it's definitely a wide spectrum of responses. That's kind of the general approach to, uh, to fighting them. And so let's take into that a little bit. So you find the company. And so most of these companies are software providers or services for Amazon sellers. Correct. Right? And so who do you reach out to at the company? Is it the CEO? Is it marketing people, director of marketing? I try to find, I try to find the head of partnerships. You know, this is going to be someone who is interested in a new lever of growth for, for the company. I try to find them. If I can't find them, I, ba I basically cold email their contact page on the, on the, on their website. That's kind of who I'm focused on because they have their forecast done anyways, like for, for Q4 right now, they know what their budget is left for Q4 and they know what's happening in Q1. So a lot of my sponsors, they're locking down Q1 and Q2 of next year. So. Yeah. These are big, like, these are like, I would say substantial packages of, of sponsoring the newsletter. And so a lot of those conversations are far, far out in advance. And so you find that person, what type of message do you send them? Can you give us like a, a rundown of like what that copy yeah, looks yeah, like? Yeah, no, my, my email is pretty short. It's, it's pretty effective because I think it's short. Um, I basically introduce myself and um, I let them know that I run the fastest growing Amazon seller newsletter in the United States right now. I mentioned my subscribers. I mentioned previous sponsors. So I obviously name drop some preferred sponsors. The, the space is really small. So when you see certain names, it's like, oh, shoot, like they're, they're advertising on Amazon Insiders. We need to get on this. So I kind of that causes some urgency. So that's pretty effective. And I basically just invite them to respond. After looking at my media kit, I include a link in that email. And I say, if there's any interest, please fill out the, the form. And, and then the conversation goes from there. Okay. And so in that, so the form, does that take them to a call or is that just like for them, for you to contact them and get back? So yeah. That, that, all that is, is that captures their general information. Like I want to know their website name. I want to know their budget. I want to know which of my packages they're interested in. And then I respond to them with pricing. And, and then, you know, then you just negotiate over email. Sometimes I'd say, 
at least 25% of the time, they're like, we're not comfortable with email only. We want to talk to you, John, over the phone. And of course the answer is yes. And, and then we talk through things and then, and then I close them on the phone. Interesting. So you're, you think about 75% of people, you're just communicating, closing over email. Yeah. Yeah. Most, most are email. Yeah. I landed, I landed a massive sponsorship um, a week ago and it was all over email. You know, that makes I, sense. I think, I think a lot of people, you know, they, they, I mean, the, the data is right in front of you, right? So you, you have the it's media kit. Yeah. yeah. You know who I am on Twitter. Like there's no like you know, secret door. Like that's, that's what it is. And when they know that other, other competitors are advertising on Amazon insiders, it's, it's pretty, I think they're comfortable with it. Some aren't, but most are. Yeah. I, I used to be in that position buying a lot of newsletter ads. We're all nerds. We just want to talk over email, you know, <laughs> we, don't want to yeah. it, we can cover everything there. So that's, that's cool to see that you're able to do that. Um, Cause some people are on calls all the time. Some people can do it this way. I think more and more people can do it that way. So yeah, it, one other definitely. question I had, would you kind of answer it is, so you don't reveal the pricing until they fill out the form and request more information. Right. So in your media kit and, and stuff and that email, I'm assuming you're no pricing, not until they actually express interest, right? That's when they get. Pricing. Yeah, yeah, and and I don't I don't do that to like price gouge anyone. I do that to one. It's kind of well, it's kind of confidential because as my prices increase, I don't want that stuff public per se. Some people are like, you know, you should post that for your newsletter. It just it makes it more transparent. I tell them my pricing anyways when when you know you fill out the form then we go over pricing and then we go over any uh, bulk discounts for you know if it's like a 3 month campaign of course you're getting a discount for that it's such a long commitment but it's been it's been working pretty well i actually uh, started it's an ai newsletter i forget the name it might be the rundown but um the pricing is not shown and i i've talked to more and more newsletter operators who keep the pricing definitely behind the scenes and yeah. then they they release that it's it's a wide spectrum i i'm i'm just going with how i can close sponsors the fastest and it's been don't show pricing start the relationship talk through what packages you know make sense i'm then very transparent with the pricing and then we go over any discounts yeah. and then and then that's it yeah i think the strategy is not to hide it but you don't want to give them sticker shock. Like you never want to leave your pricing. Like, hey, I charge this. Do that. You know, it's like you always want to lead with value. Help them understand how how you can help exactly. them. Exactly. And then show the pricing. The price tag makes a lot more sense when they see it in that context. Yeah. yeah. So, and, and to give to give the listeners some some background on this, the reason there's another good reason why I do that. The Amazon space is newsletters are new. Okay, so the Amazon space is all about relationships conferences and social media ads newsletters that's really not a thing you know if you I mean, we're talking this is like a multi-billion dollar industry now what i'm doing is like at the forefront and so when you're doing that there's a lot of hesitation if they saw the price they'd be like what is that like that that doesn't make sense but when you get someone on email and you talk through like what they can expect or, or it could be a phone call, then it makes a little more sense to them. And they're like, okay, our, our budget is opened up now for that. So that's, that's really important because this is not a common thing for service providers to sign up for uh, ads in a newsletter. Got it. Tell me about packaging. How do you think about your packages? Do you sell one-off ads? Do you only sell packages? Do you sell like packages yeah. that are ads or multi-month contracts? Yeah. 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 So, um, I have, so some of my relationships are exclusive. 
Some of them are just, just single ads. I always kind of push them to do packages, at least like something that's modest because a single ad is a really bad return on investment. So you need at least some exposure consistently over a month. So I try to package it at least into four ad slots that could be spread out over two months. It kind of depends on how they want to go about it. It's definitely broad in terms of in what every sponsor wants. But I kind of encourage that because a single ad, everyone's busy. You might maybe remember that ad in the newsletter. You need something to be consistent. I'm not trying to pitch them six months of ads, but I do tell them, hey, I think if I were in your shoes, I'd want some consistent ads, maybe a combination of my more expensive option and then my lower tier option. Um, so I give that as, as a recommendation. Okay. So it's encouraged like the one month package with some some primary and some of those... Um, exactly. Other recommendations. And then if that works for them, do you, you try and sell them like the longer packages, three months, six months, stuff like that? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I think that's, that's a great way to do it. You don't have to reveal your ad pricing and all here, but how, do, how do you internally price your ads? Do you think about CPMs on opens? Do you think about clicks you're generating? How do you think about pricing? So that was a tough one for me because it's a balance between booking sponsors and then also you don't, you don't want to be in a position of being too expensive and then you don't have any revenue coming in. So I found, I would say a really strong, you know, balance between those two things. I did look at other newsletters and checked out their pricing. I'm probably way more expensive for the number of subscribers I have because it's such a micro niche and it's very targeted and I don't have a lot of competition. So that kind of has helped boost my prices. But I'd, I'd say they're very fair and, and they're in line with lots of other newsletters. What's the math behind it though? Do you look at like, hey, I want to charge a X amount. See, do I want to charge a $200 CPM, $100 CPM, or do I want to charge a you know, X dollar per click? You don't have to share the CPM, but like, do you? Do yeah, you break actually, it down I, don't track, I don't track any of that. It's purely a per placement fee and none of that math is applied. So and how, did, uh, how did you come up with the fee originally as far as what you thought was fair? You know what I mean? Like, um, what was the math behind that? Um, again, I was comparing to what other newsletters were doing and I definitely scaled my pricing up as I grew. So that's the best way to describe it. I didn't have like built in math per se. I was basically going off of averages in my industry and I, I and obviously I had to pull data from outside the Amazon industry because Amazon newsletters are, were pretty much non-existent. So I had to kind of figure out what other people were doing. And, and, you know, a lot of that was just testing the waters. Okay. This month I was at this price. How many sponsors did I land? Then the next month, okay, let's lower the price. And then I had an uptick. So I kind of had to basically do some A-B testing. Yeah, that makes sense. What's the plan for getting to hundred K? I think you said it was next Christmas that you want to. Yeah. Yeah. The goal is next no. Christmas. It's going to be hard to achieve that. It's okay. Like I'm not going to be heartbroken if I don't, if I don't hit that, but the goal over the next year is, is going to be upping production of content on Twitter. And so because of the acquisition, I got access to, I mean, we're talking hundreds of hours of text-based content. So I'm going to be able to, to repackage that in my, in my own voice. It's all related to what uh, Amazon sellers go through. There's a possible Kindle book that I'll be able to put out a possible uh, acquisition again, probably middle of next year. So I think the acquisition news is probably going to get out <laughs> like who owns, 
who owns that website uh, in the Amazon space. It's a very well-known website. So I wouldn't be surprised if I buy another website next year, but we'll see what happens with that. Okay, so more content production for Twitter. More, I'm curious to see if there's more acquisitions out there for you. That that would be a really cool channel to explore more and like get more data on. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. Yeah, th there are definitely websites out there that you know. Most of them are related to service services. So think like just Amazon agencies, Amazon consulting. It'll make sense to purchase them in their list if that comes up. A lot of the other stuff too. You know, Sparkloop is going to be part of that story as well. And then uh, and then I'll probably reboot. Uh, Twitter ads as well. I, I I paused those recently because I had to pull back to pay. <laughs> I had to make some strategic changes, but I'll probably turn those back on as well. Right on. And so one final question. So you've built a really high value newsletter in a small, like valuable niche. I'm a big fan of these, these micro niche B2B newsletters. What would yeah. your advice be for someone who start, wants to start a niche B2B newsletter and wants to get their first let's say 1,000 to 10,000 subscribers. What's like the one piece of advice you have for that person? Man, don't use AI content and really find your voice with your writing style. So I can't tell you how many times I have had people write back to me and say, oh my gosh, John, I love your newsletter because this sounds like you. You know, people know me as very black and white. They know me as, um, you know, I don't, I'm not going to swear in my newsletter, but I use very strong language because I'm trying to get people to take action. And so people find a lot of humor in that and they love that style. So find your voice, find your brand identity and, and roll with that. So that's probably, probably a, the biggest uh, piece of advice I'd give. Another one is honestly just uh, don't be afraid to ask, you know, don't be afraid to ask other newsletters to promote you. I do a lot of cross swaps with other newsletters. It has always shocked me how many people said yes. So <laughs> don't, don't feel like, oh, everyone's going to say no. So I'm not going to bother trying. It's okay. Like be, get rejected, whatever. Like who cares? You know? So if you land four out of 10, that's four uh, newsletter swaps, you know, that's great. So definitely, definitely don't, you know, don't be scared of the grind. Both of those pieces of advice come down to not being afraid. So I think a lot of people are afraid to share their voice and like have a strong tone and have opinions, but a voice is really yeah. powerful, right? And so look at all the top yeah. newsletters out there, the hustle, milk road, morning brew, they're all known for a strong tone and voice. And people really love that in their inbox. And then also to get anybody to join your newsletter, you got to ask whether that's on social media and your post through cross promotions, you got to ask out there. So this has Absolutely. been awesome. Thanks yeah. for coming on, John. Let me know, um, where can people find you? What's your Twitter account, LinkedIn? Where do people sign up for your newsletter? Yeah, so on, on LinkedIn, uh, I'm actually under John Elder. So it's J-O-N-E-L-D-E-R. It'll pop up uh, probably slash. It would be related to Black Label Advisor. My main website is blacklabeladvisor.com. And then on Twitter, uh, it is Black Label A-D-V-S-R. Uh, and I'm pretty active on there. I have 23,000 followers. So I talk to literally all sorts of different people. So feel free to reach out there anytime. Yeah, sounds good. And we'll have that link below. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me on, Matt. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to follow the Newsletter Operator Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and give us a five-star rating to help support the show. If you want to learn even more about how to grow and monetize a newsletter, 
go to newsletteroperator.com. And if you'd like to work with Matt or Ryan directly, check the links in the description and apply to work with our agencies. 